Hugh from the Resilience Project. Thank you and welcome to my podcast where we talk about our feelings. <laughs> I didn't know that's what we were talking about, but okay. <laughs> You're going to tell me everything that you feel right now. No. I, can, I can do that. I can do that. No, um, I, I went and watched one of your talks and felt massively inspired by how much you motivate men particularly to get fucking real with their feelings and, and step into a powerful state of mind because I think it's something that isn't, I mean, it's done and it is, it's happening more, but it's something, the way in which you do it that has a potency to it. And it's obviously affecting a lot of people, a lot of kids and men. Thank you. Yeah. That's an interesting one that what you say about men, like I've, I never set out to um, target any specific audience with my message as meant to be as um, kind of, broad or wide ranging but i've found that man like for example i've been asked to do a lot of stuff for huge groups of tradies or well first of all a lot of footy clubs have have got me to come in and like afl nrl footy clubs and and i you know i, I grew up in sporting clubs having played cricket and football for as, mm. as long as i could walk so i've grown up in sporting clubs so i get how sporting clubs work so that was all right and i was happy with that you tell stories stories are your currency in a sporting club and and um so I can do that. But then I started getting to ask to go to places like um, you know, Power Corps who um, run all the electricity through the state. They have their depots where they have 40 or 50 or 60 to up to 150 tradies basically. And I'd have to have, you know, and speak to them for an hour. Um, and so I found myself having to, you know, I'm not a tradie myself, far from it. Like I, <laughs> you've never met a, a less of a handyman than me but um i kind of walked in there and, and realized that it's it's the same it's just as long as you resonate with people you can relate to people mm. you know but that's that's nice feedback thank you mm-hmm. i don't think i went anywhere with that story but i, I go <laughs> i speak <laughs> i speak to a lot of a lot of men very blokey men as well but then having said that i was in an all-girls school on um thursday and spoke to 600 year 11 year 12 girls so it's yeah. not just for men it's for no. for everyone but um yeah, yeah. And what, what was the turning point where you felt like you, this is what you cared about and why did you care about it? Uh, oh, it's a very good question. Um, my, I've always cared, I've always had a fascination in happiness, well-being, sort of not knowing as a teenager, I didn't understand what mental health was in the slightest. I knew my sister was really sick. Um, I knew my sister was sick from the age when she was about 13 or 14. She, she stopped eating. She... Um, anorexia nervosa and it and it ravaged her i mean it ravaged us i should say the family if you you know when you're close to someone with a mental illness it's not just that person that's affected it's everyone who's close to them so my sister you know dinner time was the worst inevitable huge fights with mum and my sister around food um uh so that's when i first became interested in the you know i, I didn't quite understand how i was literally literally living 20 metres from her sister. My bedroom is 20 metres away from my sister and I was totally fine. Mm. Always been very happy, full of joy, um, always cope well when things didn't quite work out for me. My little sister grew up under the same roof and her struggles with mental illness were devastating. Like mm. she's in hospital when she's 18 years old because she's – or 17 years old because she's dropped below crisis weight. She's, mm. you know, she's not a short person and she's weighing in at 30 kilograms, you know. Um, so I've always been interested in – I mean, just is not the right word. Just always been fascinated, I suppose, with well-being, and then understood mental illness through my sister, 
um, decided to become a teacher thinking I'll become a teacher and then I'll stop all the kids in my class getting a mental illness. Mm. Very naive and very ambitious. In fact, I went and taught at a girls' school straight up because I thought, oh, girls need this stuff, you know, the anorexia and anxiety and, and didn't really think too much about guys but went to a girls' school and um, and was crazily trying to stop kids from being unhappy or, you know, I had no idea what I was doing but I was trying very hard. And then um, I went when I had, as you would know because you've seen me do a talk before, I went and lived in India mm. To be really honest, I was kind of dragged there by my ex-girlfriend. I wasn't totally pumped on going, but she said, that's where we're going and Hmm. that's where we went because she was the boss. (laughs) And so we went to India, an amazing experience. But a few weeks in, we decided to go and find a school to go and volunteer in. Um, And we ended up in a village that had nothing. You know, it was, was, um, when I say nothing, nothing by our standards in um in developed countries so no running water no electricity everyone sleeps on a dirt floor there's no money there um and i was exposed to the happiest community of people i have ever seen in my entire life like i'm i've never seen anything like it the calm the um joy smiles at ease secure as in comfortable with themselves all that kind of stuff and I couldn't get my head around. I, I had a couple of sleepless nights there, not just because I was lying on a dirt floor with no pillow, but because I'm thinking, how is this possible? My little sister grew up in Melbourne. We went to great schools. We had a nice house. We had everything we ever wanted growing up as kids, but she's just found it really hard to be happy. And then you look at these kids here, sleeping on a dirt floor, so full of joy. And that's what really, this is back in 2008 now, and that's what really kicked me into gear right. to kind of think. What's the discrepancy? Yeah. Yes, and and what are these kids doing? From a very practical as a teacher, I'm looking at thinking, what do these kids do that we don't do back mm-hmm. home? What can I learn off them? I could maybe talk to kids back home about. Well, I say kids, that's a little bit. It wasn't really kids. It was my sister. What can I talk to my little sister about? Mm. Like what is, what is, there was one kid in particular who really caught my um, attention who was just the most beautiful, smiley, happy kid who really had it tough, really, by our standards and, so I thought, what does he do that my sister doesn't do? And I, and I kind of, it sounds a little bit creepy, but I kind of studied this nine-year-old kid for, <laughs> for three, four months. And, and um, that's a very long answer to your question, but that's what really got me going on this path of um, mental health, mental illness, joy, um, sadness, all that kind of stuff, mm. trauma. Um, what can we do to help ourselves? Because the world is not set up right now in our favor as far as our mental health there are so many things that are happening that make it really tough for us Mm. to be mentally healthy Mm. and to be happy so my thing was what are the little things that we can do to take back a little bit of control here so that's back the way it probably should be so that we can all live a happier life sorry very long answer to your question no it's great (laughs) this is all the juiciness this is great (laughs) so and and it was it was like empathy gratefulness laughter it was so yeah so so the three things and it it very conveniently as a teacher very conveniently forms the acronym gem so gratitude empathy and mindfulness i've just come straight from a school which is why i'm a bit late sorry about that (laughs) i've come straight from a primary school which is where it is by far the most um my favorite place to speak like i'm very lucky i get to go to some pretty cool places and Mm. and speak to people but nothing beats a primary school when you've got today was the second session i had at this school so i had all the grade threes to grade sixes so Mm. i had about i think it was about 450 kids in the school hall Mm. and we did an hour and it was on gratitude empathy and mindfulness but i rarely say those words i never mention mental health i just tell stories that i know these kids absolutely piss themselves laughing at like Mm. really funny stories because that's the key like if you want to, you just said laughter before. If you want um, 
as a teacher, if you want to teach, you've got to be highly engaging and emotional engagement is a key. So I tell I, what I hope is very funny stories mm. in order to engage kids so mm. that they um, so they take away the messages around practicing gratitude, mm. empathy, and mindfulness. So yeah, they're, they're the three that we talk mainly about because we really want to encourage connection i mm. suppose so uh, i've got a bunch of questions but what, one um where's because well, i think men and children like i think women have pretty sorted <laughs> like this is a, again a naive thing but like women know how are emotionally intelligent and i know that everyone's got problems and stuff but like men don't know how to process their emotions and struggle and end up topping themselves a lot and kids um need a, our best hope at the future yep um, but I, I think I think what our world needs more of this is just rambling. But yeah. I think what I think our world needs more of is is embodied women stepping up and leading, because they're they're nurturing and caring, or at least that feminine aspect. Yeah, I really like us. that. I love that. Because um, because I know when an embodied woman is in my life, saying what she feels and um, and is sure of herself, I find that just the most wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. And I look around in the world and I see, and I just think the world needs more of that. Yeah. You know, w- women leaders that are, um, or at least men that have the, their feminine nurturing capability, which you clearly do. Well, it, you, I said before, the world isn't set up right now for us to succeed from a mental health point of view. That's another example. Like it's such a man's, you know, men on the TV everywhere, men in all leadership positions, um, everything. It's such a... It's so skewed, it's so imbalanced. So, to, you know, basically to back you up, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And we need to have, um, and it's not something I talk about when I go and do my talks, actually. This is a bit of a new, um, it's not something I talk about a lot, but you're right. I, mm. I totally agree. Mm. I think um, it, there needs to be more of a, I, I believe women are certainly more empathetic. And I say, and this is why I say that, because every day of my life, on average, I do about two talks a day so i've done it for the last eight years if i were walk into a room full of women i go this is going to be a great hour yeah because they give me a chance they're they kind of they have a big smile on their face they they give you really positive body language so when i start talking they're nodding and smiling and sort of laughing and everyone's listening i walk into a room full of men i gotta spend the first five minutes winning them over um so that's what i base it on i'm not sort of sexist comment i I think Mm. women um, naturally, and, and I do think that's what the I think that's what the world needs more of is more empathy, and I yeah. think that um, women leading the way there is is absolutely spot on. I think you make a lovely yeah, point, right? And what w- what do you think it is about? Like as a teacher, like we need leaders and teachers that can show us the way or the wise layout of what the hell is going on in our invisible yeah. realm inside our skull, yeah, yeah. because it's it's there's so many different teachings, spiritual teachings, and philosophies and and what it, what is it about the way you teach that you feel like is relevant or, or, or you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I do, yeah. I do. Um, so what I, for example, the session I just did then, I tell a story about, I try and explain what anxiety disorder is yeah. to 10, 11, 12-year-olds. Yeah. And five, six years ago, I couldn't do that because schools would say, don't, no, please don't come and do that. Don't come talk about anxiety. We now now we, we know now that twenty four percent of primary school kids in Australia now have a mental illness. Twenty four percent. What? Yeah, so that's from resi- resilient. If people want to fact check that, uh, that's resilient youth. You can look them up online. They've surveyed three hundred and twenty thousand kids in the last two years. When I say primary school kids, that's grade threes to grade sixes. Yeah. 
So now schools are wanting me to talk about anxiety disorder, but I do it. So this is how I do it. I talk about um, a person I know who had anxiety growing up as a kid and when it was t- explained to me, I didn't get what it was because a lot of the kids in the room I'm talking have no idea what I'm talking about. And mm. I do this thing about, I sort of talk about how I'm not very smart. So mum and dad explained what anxiety disorder was and I went, oh, right. And they say, do you get it? And I went, uh, no. And they said, okay. So anxiety disorder is this. It's an overwhelming amount of obsessive, negative, worrying, irrational thoughts you can't switch off. Yes. And I went, oh, right. And mum and dad said, did you get it? And I said, not really, no. And this is me telling the kids this. And, and, then I, and then I say, but then I understood what anxiety disorder was two weeks later and this is what happened. And I tell them this story about being in the car with someone, uh, someone's dad who this dad um, and I set up the dad as a very lovable character, drives very slowly, has his head, his nose below the steering wheel, squints heaps and, and um, drives at 10 kilometers an hour. And I talk about this experience with this person kind of racing up behind them really fast and started yelling at, at this guy for being, I was in the front seat, this guy for being so slow at driving. Um, and um, and the guy um, just winds the window and, and like really has a go at him and, and this guy winds the window down and says, have a nice day with a big smile on his face. And the kids for some reason find that the funniest story they've ever heard. It's in a tax, I didn't tell that well then, but it takes about 15, oh, yeah, minutes, it. It takes 15 yeah. minutes to get yeah, to yeah, that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. and then um, the person in the back seat of the car that night couldn't sleep and they were so upset worried about that person did that person follow them to school on the way to school did that person and and um it's a lot and i'm not giving away the characters because it's a bit of a not sacred but i like to keep this for the primary school yes. so it's just their story but um yeah. the person in the back seat doesn't sleep that night because they're so worried about this person who yelled at him who yelled at him but the person in the front seat which is me which actually forgot it happened yeah. and that night was like what are you talking about <laughs> which man oh yeah the gangry guy um and kids go oh i get that that's 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 what likes that, that that's when you worry that's worry and that's yeah i get that and so to answer your question it's uh, storytelling as a, as a teacher mm. storytelling is the way um I mean, you, if you go to a speech and someone's telling stories, you sit there and listen to them. If they're telling you um, the research behind it, the science behind it, you've got to write it all down. So if I want to remember this. Mm. So, so, so what are the stats? What do I have to practice? What are the results when I practice this? Yeah. You tell someone a story, they sit back and they listen to it and they don't forget it, provided mm. it's a good story. Mm. So I go to schools and like I just said, I did an hour worth of storytelling and it was all about what anxiety disorder is, what mental illness is, what can we do to help ourselves if we're feeling a little bit that way like we, mm. we find it hard to be happy or mm. we get down a fair bit and then what happens to us if we do but the whole thing is done through story mm. so, so so that's what the world needs and when you look at the like the ted talks online yeah. my god there's some absolute rubbish out there now but the good ones you look at the good ones they're, they're, they're natural storytellers yeah they're teachers a lot of the good ones are from teachers and, because and they, they know how to tell a story and that's how it's happened across neons around campfires. Like that's how we pass down knowledge. Totally. Through storytelling. Totally. Um, I, I feel like with anxiety, it's such a fascinating one because what's fascinating to me is how some people are more prone to it than others and what determines that. Part of that makes me go, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's just the fact that it is. You know, like we can, we can spend ages trying to understand ourselves and the way we are, the why we are the way we are, or we could just accept that I'm, I'm prone to anxiety and build resilience because that's why I love the word resilience as well as like water off a duck's back kind of um, comes to mind as an analogy and I know some people that are like that when they get thrown in stressful environments and then they get thrown in an even more stressful environment and, it's, and it cuts a bit, you know. Yeah. Like, it's funny what, um, like I've got a mate that's had a cruisy life, nothing really traumatic has ever happened to him and something super traumatic recently happened to him 
and he he was pulling his hair out of stress and then got over it really quickly because he kind of just he felt it and was shocked by it but then kind of accepted it i guess and and saw the positives in it and that mental resilience is just what a skill it's what a skill it's almost like the most it's, it's a superpower, isn't it? It's a like, superpower, man. Yeah, it's a superpower because we all go through trauma in our lives. Mm. We all lose loved ones. We all go through relationship breakdowns. We all people lose their job, all that kind of stuff. So the ability to bounce back quickly—it is. You're right. It's a superpower. What, what are the what are the key characteristics of resilience to you? Or at least, um, well, you- so there's a couple of ways a couple of ways of answering it. And just on what you said before about why do some people have anxiety? Why do some people? My partner and I, Penny, or my wife now, we got married a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, Thank you. (laughs) That was a very nice night. Um, um, So um, she has suffered from an anxiety disorder from the age of, I think she was about 17, I think, now 31. Um, She's got no childhood trauma. Um, She has an incredibly loving and supporting family. Um, Successful parents, well off, um, and yet she's just, you know, she hasn't been able to shake this anxiety disorder. And I, so we talk about it a lot. Like we, I've, I've just read a book and I won't go into it because Ryan Shelton did it on the last podcast mm-hmm. called Lost Connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't rehash that. But he talks a lot about how um, it comes, it has to come from somewhere. It's childhood trauma. It's something's happened most of the time to cause it. It hasn't. And I, I, I love the book. It's, I think it's the best book I've read in a long time. But so Penny's says to me, I don't, I don't know where this has come from. I haven't had a traumatic event happen in my life. I have had everything as I'd like it to be, yet I have this, in her words, overwhelming amount of obsessive, negative, worrying thoughts I find very hard to switch off. Um, so it's a fascinating and very complex um, scenario, anxiety. It really is. Anyway, is it? What was the question you actually asked me? Oh, uh, I can't <laughs> that was a great chat. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, um, from now on, what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the questions you asked me rather than me throwing back to 10 minutes no, before. No, chuck anything in. So, so it was what, what are the skills to be resilient? I think yes. that was it. What, what are the, no, yeah, what are the characteristics? characteristics? Yeah, of resilience. Okay, so the obvious way for me to answer that is to talk about the things that the Resilience Project is built on. That's gratitude, empathy, mindfulness. So let me do that for one minute and then I'm going to talk about some other things that I think are a really big part of it. Mm. So, the, so the only way I know how to do it is to think about people I know that I think are really resilient and, and analyze the way that they are as people. Um, now gratitude empathy and mindfulness the research says when you practice gratitude empathy and mindfulness when something goes wrong in your life um, you won't drop as far down the mental health spectrum and you'll bounce back quicker so they're things that you can practice every single day that will help you to be more resilient mm-hmm. but when I look at things the natural things that people have and don't have I'll tell you a really big one which I've been thinking about a lot recently and this is not going through you know, hours and hours of research, I think sense of humor is massive. Mm. So the ability to be able to laugh and make fun of something that can be quite troubling Mm. with someone else and involve someone else in that. So therapeutic. Don't you reckon? Yeah, yeah. Like when something goes, if you're having a shit one and just, you know, this goes wrong, then that goes wrong, then that goes wrong. Um, Yesterday, for example, we Penny and I had one of those days. We got a two-year-old at home. And we got a puppy as well. I don't know why we got a dog. It was the stupidest thing we've ever done. But love the dog, but it's just causing some serious issues for us. So just had one of those days yesterday where everything just went wrong. And I'm not talking about serious trauma. I'm talking about just really annoying, frustrating things. And all day we were saying, don't worry, we're going to watch. Our whole day was about when we get Benji to bed, our two-year-old, we're going to watch Afterlife. Ricky Gervais' new so thing. Good. And we got three episodes left. We're going to grab a bottle of red. 
and we're going to sit down, we're going to watch Afterlife. And that's going to be that. That's our award at the end of the day. Everything went wrong. Like the amount of stuff that fucked up yesterday. Anyway, we sit down, we get the bottle of red out, and I poured two glasses of red. As she takes her first sip, she nearly spits it out because it was off. It was, a, it was the only bottle we had in the house. Oh, and no. at that moment, I pressed play on, and Netflix was down. It wouldn't work. We couldn't get Wi Fi to work. No. And so, and it's like, I'd had no sleep for the night before. Neither of us had slept the night before because our two year old not sleeping at the moment. And it was just like the final straw. And we had a couple of moments of being really sort of just pissed off, like, what the fuck is going on today? And then we started, we did this, we went on this big, like, um, almost skit about how bad our life is and how lucky are we. And it was kind of like this, it was a very sarcastic thing about how how bad life is. We've got a beautiful house, beautiful sun. We're sitting in front of our beautiful television fire going. And we're and so it, we sort of turned it into a joke and we sort of cracked it and pretended we were losing. We put on a bit of big performance about how bad our lives were. <laughs> And honestly, we had a big laugh about it and we were fine. We were totally fine. And it was all because of, it was a sense of humor that got us through. Mm. And so that's a, but I'm, you know, when you talk about things that really go wrong in life, when people are able to have a bit of a laugh at it, mm. um, one of my best mates, Al, or we call him Dolly, um, he's had a couple of shit things happen in his life. And, and um, one was he, he, he was engaged to, and I haven't got permission to tell this story, I just realized, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, and when I said his name is Al, his name's Stephen. Um, <laughs> anyway, my mate Steve. If you want, we can cut this bit out. Oh, that's right. Anyway, okay. No, he's good. He's good. He's yeah. fine. I don't think he listens to podcasts. He'll be right. <laughs> um, when he... Um, I don't care. We can, we can run with it. That's fine. Um, uh, when Dolly... Um, oh, I've said his name again. When Steve... Uh, <laughs> When Stephen, um, when he's, he, uh, his ex, he was engaged to get married. And this is going back about probably seven or eight years now. He's engaged to get married and um, he finds his wife, has, his fiance has not been a very good person. Um, I remember he calls me, he's telling me about it and he's shattered. And he started the second half, the first, first half of the phone, first half of the phone call was him just being, like, he was just devastated. And his second half of the phone call, he's making jo- really self-deprecating jokes about how and he goes, well, you can't blame her, can you? I mean, look at me. Have you seen my face? All that kind of stuff. And he was being really funny about like, he was just being really self-deprecating and really funny. And we laughed the second half of the phone call. I've never seen anyone bounce back quicker from a traumatic event than him. And he just, he made so many jokes about it. It wasn't avoiding the topic of what was going on. Like he was still confronting it, but he was really funny about it. Hmm. Um, and and I, I rec- so I reckon in a long answer to your question, I think sense of humor is very important i mean i don't i don't know people you know in your life but i think about people with a good really good sense of humor really good funny people when stuff goes wrong they they use humor as a really powerful weapon a mm. really powerful weapon so true man. So, so there's that and i think the other one is the ability to be present people who are good at being and i know this is mindfulness what we talk about but anyone who's good at putting himself in the moment right now mm. and going this is what's happening right now is what i'm dealing with right now i think they are more naturally resilient as well because when something goes wrong for you and you spend the next six months living in that what went wrong for you, gee, it's hard to get past it. Mm. Really hard to get past it. I think about it. You and I have talked about relationships before and, and my ex-fiance and I, we broke up. It took me a long time to get through it. And I look back, I just spent so much bloody time dwelling on it. Like a, a year later, I'm still thinking about it and still, you know, um, bitching about what had gone down and what had happened and, and rather than just you know I, I've had wonderful things happening in my life but I wasn't present for them mm. if I'd been more present for them I think I would have so I mean I, I think about 
people who are present, and I think about people who are funny, and I think they're re- and I think they're resilient people. Right. And how do we nurture sense of humor? Like for for me, sense of humor is just a choice away. Like if if it's looking for the funny things, yeah. looking for something, yeah. looking for a way to have a laugh about this. And I also really appreciate when friends take the piss out of me, my seriousness, yes. because that's. That's like I'm I'm ready and willing to laugh about it. Yeah, yeah. But so if someone's chucking at me, I'm yummy, yummy. Give it me. <laughs> but but so, so I think having friends that have a sense of humour and can be completely honest with you about even you know the hard things or the, the the deeper things. Yeah. And then that present moment awareness is, you know, I mean, meditation obviously helps with that. But some, I know people that don't meditate and are really present as well. So yeah, totally. It's like a what other tools can help people be present? Well, it's funny that one on, on um, well, there's a couple of things to say here. So mm. that whole thing about how do we nurture, like it's a choice to see the funny side of things. What you're kind of doing is in a way is you're kind of seeing the positives, like you're looking at the positives really. Yeah. That, that's what it is. When you have a sense of humor about a tough situation. Yeah. And I'm not saying if you lose a loved one, you should try and find the funny side of it. Um, I'm, I'm, it's more... But you sure can try. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You'll be happier if you do it. <laughs> um, but um, so we, the other thing we talk about is how important it is to practice gratitude, right? So mm. when you practice gratitude, um, what you're doing is you're teaching yourself to pay attention to what you've got, not what you don't have. Um, and when you practice gratitude after 21 days, you start to scan the world for the positives. Mm. And I think often in a really tough situation, you see something funny, that's you scanning the world for the positives. Mm. So you can sort of in a way practice having a sense of humor about stuff. And that's every night. All you do is write down three things that went well for you during the day. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to do. And in the morning as well? You can do in the morning. I, I, what I'd do in the morning is I'd do... So at night, I'd do three things that went well for me during the day. I'd just write on the shower screen door. Yeah. And then in the morning, when I'm getting up and when I'm in the car on the way to work or on the way to do a talk somewhere, I think, what are three things I'm looking forward to today? Because yeah. automatically, so often our brain goes to, oh, shit, I've got to go and do this today. I've got to get to the airport by this time. And I don't want to... For example, I'm flying off to Brisbane this afternoon to go and do a whole stack of talks in Brisbane and nothing against Brisbane I love Brisbane I just I kind of want to be at home with my family right now just Benji's now two and he's at a a beautiful age where he's saying I love you dad for the first time which by the way my gosh that is the greatest feeling in the world we were uh, where were we we were walking uh, we were going to a cafe and I had him on my arm and I was talking about where we were going and he loves going to cafes he calls them cafes and um, we're on the way to a cafe there's a bit of pause he didn't say anything I turned around and looked at him and he goes he never said it before. He goes, "I love you, Dada," and I was like, "I nearly fell over and dropped him." I couldn't, you know. It was the most amazing moment. But um, why was I saying that? Oh, that's right. I'm going to Brisbane. I don't want to go to Brisbane. Um, nothing against Brisbane, but I don't want to go. Um, so this morning, when I got up, I was like, "What are three things I'm looking forward to today?" Mm. I get to go and speak to 500 primary school kids. I can't wait to. Do I get to come to this podcast, you mm. know. Mm. Um, and I'm going to get to the airport early and make sure I can make the most of the Qantas Club. <laughs> You know, I'm going to have a toasted ham and cheese sandwich and a coffee and I cannot bloody wait to do that. So when you focus on this, not to ignore all the challenging stuff in our life, but mm. when you pay attention to the good things in yeah. life, that helps you to have a good sense of humor about stuff. Oh, mate, they're, they're, they're two real gems they are. They're so important. Yeah, it's funny. And, and going back to your original question about, oh, you'd, you reach a lot of men with this stuff, you would think that that's something traditionally that men would go, I'm not going to fucking write down, what if I'm going to write down three things I'm... What are you talking about? That's not, I'm not doing it. That's what my missus would do or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's amazing. Like, uh, so when I worked, I was very lucky to work at Richmond Footy Club and Dustin Martin loved it. And Dustin Martin, um, I didn't know he was doing it. Someone, well, he got in touch a while later, but Dustin Martin's been doing it for like 
I think it's a thousand and ninety days now. He's been doing that exact thing. Three things went well from during the day. Three things he's looking forward to in the morning. Um, uh, heard a story from not verbatim, well, not sorry, not, from, not from the horse's mouth, but um, a mate of mine did, did a work with what mate of mine, one of my co, one of my other presenters at the Resilience Project, spent a lot of stuff with Hawthorne Footy Club and. Luke Bruce came up to me afterwards and said, I've got a whiteboard in my bedroom and, and my partner and I, we actually write down three things that we're looking forward to every single day when we get up. So it's not just for, you know, um, traditionally we think of females who like to get a diary out and, 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 you know, write down with beautiful handwriting three things. It's for all of us. Mm. It's for all of us. And I mm. say there's footballers doing it. And then I go to schools and I say to kids, Luke Bruce does it, Dustin Mann does it. You should see him. They're like, oh, I'm doing it then. <laughs> That's great. Uh, when I used to say it to them three years ago and go, oh, I'm saying you should do it. They go, yeah, whatever. But now we've got these footballers doing it. It has a huge success rate. That's so interesting. So it, it says so much about not, I guess, role models, but people, it's kind of making it cool to do it, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, Something like totally. It is super important to have leaders that are, connect and are relevant i suppose that's why joe rogan's so successful is because yeah, blokey 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 man, man. <laughs> but he's saying some helpful shit he is and he's totally. exploring some interesting helpful areas about living better and pushing humanity forward and um and obviously psychedelics which is fascinating <laughs> any, any podcast you listen to right now the the leaders thought leaders as far as well-being psychedelics comes up every single time <laughs> it's fascinating exploring consciousness yeah and as a person who so i'm the oldest in my family right? i'm the firstborn. i can't like on the way here i was stuck at the boom gate went down traffic lights you know how the boom gate goes up first and the red lights keep flashing mm. I couldn't people behind me are beeping the horn like going what the fuck are you waiting for go and I'm like no I can't go I'm the first in my family my mum and dad might find out <laughs> you know the psychedelics thing I'm like that's a real conflict for me because I'm is like it? is that meant to help you with your mental health is it well I have never touched drugs in my entire life I'm too I've never even had a drag of cigarette before that's how much I'm like I don't break the rules you know right and then I hear these like my heroes in these thought leaders in mental health and well-being and you know Sam Harris and, and um, Johan Hari and mm. These guys talking about how that's so transformative for your well-being. I'm mm. like, well, now that's an issue for me because <laughs> yeah. I can't break any rules. <laughs> but you're, but like maybe you don't need it. Like maybe some people are, are genuinely charmed to it more than others for good reason. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I think you're right. I certainly, I certainly won't be rushing to. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know the terminology. Do a mushroom. <laughs> Yeah. Chuff some acid. <laughs> I don't know how you say it, but anyway. I want to see someone chuff acid. It sounds dangerous because you'd have to take a lot to chuff it. It's such a delicate little amount. That well, that's take. why, you know, when Afterlife, when Ricky Gervais is, is, is um, is it, is it heroin that he takes and he smokes yes. it? I was like, yes. I was like, hang on a minute. Isn't that, I'm so confused. I don't, and I was saying to Penny, isn't it? Don't you have to like inject yourself? And anyway, that's, that's, I'm a bit of a I'm yeah, bit of a numpty in that area. But yeah. okay, there you go, there you go. <laughs> I mean, I've never tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing what it's amazing what it can do and it does do for a lot of people in terms of breaking down boundaries and yeah. expanding your thinking and and resolving trauma because it confronting yourself and confronting like for me to be specific, confronting this sense of I'm not enough and I need other people to determine my sense of worth is is a hard thing to confront and it takes, you know, you go through cycles of like, oh, that's, that is where I'm coming from. Fuck, I can let go of that then. I can just accept myself for who I am. I'm the only one that is able to accept myself for who I am and and then move forward. But then if you have psychedelics or have an experience like that, it kind of takes you to that place 
in a, such a profound, intense way that it dissolves all your, it dissolves the dysfunction of it. In, Amazing. In, Amazing. And that's what people call it like, a, like ayahuasca particularly. It's like a miracle plant medicine because it just, that's why all these physiotherapists and psychologists are in America are all going to like South America at the moment. It's, it's such a hot fad because they're realizing it's actually working. It's doing something very significant, you know, like talk therapy goes for years and, and doesn't really get seems yeah, to yeah. resolve a lot of things. Yeah. So it can, and it can be temporary, but the significance of what transforms when you have ayahuasca or smoke DMT is, I mean, in my experience, I haven't done ayahuasca being with DMT. It just, and mushrooms and what's DMT? Dimethyltryptamine. It's that, right, okay. it's the key ingredient in ayahuasca. Right. So it's meant to be, I mean, I don't know not much about it, but it's meant to be what your brain produces when you come into life and when you die. And so it's a, it's like a transition molecule <laughs> to um, make you be able to deal with coming yeah. into existence. I mean, that's the scientific so you, situation of it. But more than that, it kind of like allows you to transcend into more expanded states of awareness. Like if you're a field of consciousness, your field of awareness of your localized consciousness field, i.e. you as Hugh, expands into like almost everythingness. And you are everything, and you are you see you see all of it as you like you can have Did, some dark experiences, but you can see all of it as absolute transcendent. Is it life. lasting? As in, do you have that experience around feeling self worth and feeling worthy of people's love and affection, all that? Does that stay with you then, for, or is it just when you're experiencing, it, just when you're on that drug? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like it's a bit like Windows shopping. A, higher state of consciousness it's it's you or you try it on you try the clothes on you experience it and you embody it and you go there but then integrating it for some people can be easy some people would be challenging and i think it comes down to like i've heard stories with ayahuasca where people the integration of like coming off an addictive substance they try it after and they just detest it it's almost like the ayahuasca transformed their biology to the point where they hate that thing now yeah right because that's what they that's where they went on that journey yeah. so it really literally rewired them significantly but and they also say you know like to change takes a traumatic significant experience the more you have a repetitive pattern like the more you repeat anxiety in my brain it's going to take either a traumatizing experience to undo all that and for me that wasn't a panic attack but, you yeah. know like i had a yeah. panic attack and it just it just undid all this dysfunction in my brain and like my whole idea of who i thought i was just was shattered and that was so that therefore that was like allowed me to rebuild myself from a more um, solid place that's more connected to my soul or yeah. the, uh, a contented place rather than i'm not enough place yeah right um but then for other people if you don't have that traumatic experience it seems that it takes pattern on pattern and admittedly I'm still doing the pattern on pattern you know creating new patterns like the gratefulness and the diaries yeah, and stuff yeah. so so to answer your question I think it it's it will always take work after but you get a big kick start if you I mean in my experience like well, I had this really almost psychedelic experience on meditation after meditating on my 30th birthday that stayed with me ever since which is this because once you have a direct experience of I am everything, I'm connected to everything, it, it kind of allows me to not believe my individual self so much and realize that I'm part of a collective thing yeah. of humanity and of the earth and of the universe. I'm, I'm connected to this life force, whatever the fuck it is, is going on and I'm a part of it. And that gives you a sense of belonging and a sense of, oh, I've arrived. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. nowhere to go. Yeah. I just get to experience 
experience life yeah and and that's all that matters you know i think that's that's one thing i've i think is the truth that is setting in more for me is like this this is as good as it gets and i just get to experience life like right now yeah i've arrived i've arrived i've arrived there's nowhere else and that's just that is rewiring my brain and i think you have to do that with choices though don't don't you so i don't know if that answered your question but well, I think, no, it does because I, yeah, I mean, the drugs is definitely not my area of expertise, so I don't have to delve into that. But I do, um, I do find it fascinating because everyone's, a lot of people are talking about it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. So you were coming some ground here. We started off with primary school presentations and now we're going to deep dive into drugs. But anyway, I love, I love it. Very good. Well, it's good. Like what's in that, um, in- what's, sorry, what's the tattoo on your arm, by the way? That's- I know this is not great podcasting, but <laughs> I, I love it. And I'm, I don't have any tattoos, but what is that? It's, it says Soma. Um, what does that mean? And then it's the three layers of what I think existence is. So, Soma is, uh, it's like three circles. And yep. in the middle, it's like two lines crossing, which creates life. Yep. And then out of it shoots a line and Soma spelt over that, which is um, consciousness and flow. So like the vital life force energy of pure flow state and um creativity and um just life force energy that you feel when you experience love it's flying through it and it's coming from the inside and working its way out and the three layers are um creation maintenance and disillusion or creating create and <laughs> i feel like i mean it's a vedic philosophy but if if there were three laws of nature that you could say is true for absolutely anything that we can perceive it's that anything is created maintained and destructed or destroyed yeah, yeah. and um, everything's in that constant cycle at any given time. And so that's just the truth that really resonated with me and I feel like reminds me of what life is. It's like a bit of a roadmap, like all these tutties are just yeah. little thin roadmaps. Well, it sounds awesome and it looks awesome as well. <laughs> it looks extremely cool, which is important. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> no, it's not. Every one of these tutties, cool. I actually just shut my eyes and go, oh, what, what do I feel like? And then I imagine what the drawing looks like. And then I just touch a part of my body that I feel like I want it to be. And then that's where I get it. So wow. it's not its not exactly like... You're a much more interesting person than I am. <laughs> How about I ask you the question for now? <laughs> it's not really. They're just silly little inks. <laughs> oh, they look awesome. Um, but man, yeah, I love this. I love the whole concept of resilience. And I think what you're doing is super, super important, uh, particularly in Australia, because... Um, we need more leaders like this that are, ma- are making it cool to care and, and changing the narrative of what, of, of what, like it, our minds literally determine our reality and yet yeah. there's no priority around looking after them. Like there's yeah. no, there's no, there's no, in, in terms of the mainstream narrative or in schooling, it's like one of the subjects should be yep. mental well-being. Yep. For fucking sure, like it's yeah. ridiculous that it's not. Yeah, because if if you have got a bad mental being, your whole experience of life is awful. Yeah, I was actually this links back to your first question about why did I want to do this in the or what led me to this in the first place. I remember teaching the students that I worked with my first teaching job, and I spent a lot of time on. I was always doing a lot of well-being stuff and mental health stuff for these kids, and it was a private school, so I remember there was a lot of pressure on me. Like, no, 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 the, the you know they were going, no, we don't get judged on like on their emotional state like we need to do literacy numeracy and you know naplan starts tomorrow this is a quite relevant conversation for that reason but and i was like no no, but surely if we put if they get their heads right emotionally surely that stuff will follow Mm. pretty easily so you're right this should be a subject um there are some schools quite progressive schools that will teach happiness and 
Um, but they're far and few between. A few mm. and far between. Anyway, there's there's not many of them. So I'm trying to say, <laughs> <laughs> there's fuck all of them. What I'm trying to say. Um, so we need to, and that, that's why I think the resilience project has become quite popular in schools. We got 110,000 kids around the country now who Whoa, practice man. who practice gratitude, empathy, mindfulness, connection, emotional literacy every single day. Like we, how good is this? Fuck. We got um, 110,000 kids practicing labeling the emotion they feel as they feel it. So. Because it's so important that we can um, actually – I'll give an example. So mm-hmm. if you aren't able to label the emotion you're experiencing as you're experiencing it, that's called – there's a condition called alexithymia. So A without lexi words, thymia, emotions. Oh. Alexithymia um, from, from the Latin. But um, it, So it says um, – and this is why it's dangerous. If you can't say to people why you f- feel the way you feel, it's a real problem. I used to do a lot of work with boys in juvenile detention. Yeah. And I'd always sit down and go – um, how are you feeling? And there was always negative emotion and they couldn't tell me. They'd go, I feel shit. And I'd say, no, no, what emotion? And they'd go, I don't know, I just feel fucked at the moment. I'd go, uh, okay, I'm looking for the emotion though. And I'd go, that's it, I just feel shit. And I'd say, no, no, okay. And I'd say, okay, so tell me why you feel shit. Why do you feel shit? And they'd all say, I don't know, I just do. I'd then hold up a chart which had like 50 faces on it, like emoticons, and I'd say, point to the face that you feel. I remember one day a guy said, no, I can't, I don't know, I just feel shit, I don't know why. And I said, point to the face that you're feeling right now. And he pointed to this face. And on the back of the sheet, it had the actual emotion written there, and it said lonely. And I turned it around and I said, it says you feel lonely. Do you feel lonely? And he said, I guess so. And I said, okay, we'll say it. And he said, say what? I said, tell me you feel lonely. He said, I feel lonely. And I said, why? Tell me like that. He goes, I feel lonely because mum and dad don't come visit me anymore. And my mates from school have stopped coming to visit. And I said, okay, so you've just worked out what the problem is. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, let's fix the problem. I'll speak to your mates from school. Let's see if we can get your parents in a bit more. Um, so all of a sudden, he'd gone from saying, I feel shit, I don't know why, to I feel lonely because of this. And then we've gone to solve the problem. Mm. So we got 100, it was so exciting. We got 110,000 kids around the country this year who every day will be labeling the emotion they feel and talking about why they feel it. Wow. So my hope is we won't have as much alexithymia in the future because of our program. And that may not be the case, but that's certainly what I'd love. What's well, happening? Oh, yeah, it is. And then like this emotional literacy, it's at the heart of so many social problems we have in Australia right now. Like if you, um, what's an example? If you, if you can, if you, so if I'm able to look at you and work out how you're feeling by looking at you, well, that's only going to happen if I can do it myself. If I can look at myself personally and say, I feel this right now. If I can't do that, I've got zero help, zero chance of looking at Jeremy and going, I think Jeremy feels like this right now. Mm. And I think that's called empathy deficit. Um, mm. And if you have an empathy deficit, um, so many things, it leads to so many issues such as, I, th- I think, domestic violence. Mm. I think domestic violence would be with apparently one in three females in Australia experience domestic violence. You know, One in three. Oh. That has to be a, one of our biggest social problems. But oh. if you think about it, if we're creating empathetic young men who can feel what someone else feels, mm. They're not going to hurt. Mm. They're not going to hurt their partner because they can feel what they feel. They feel what they feel. They're not going to do it. So, my hope is, and I know it's a bit probably a bit ambitious, but my hope is one of the legacies of this of the resilience project is that we create empathetic young men who treat women the way that they would like to be treated and the way that they should be treated, mm. which is with respect and with love and with care. Um, why am I telling you this? It's because it's awesome. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, 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 it's bloody awesome. That's why. I can't remember why I'm telling you this. This, is, this has been the theme of this podcast. You ask the question. I talk about something totally different. And then we talk about drugs. No, it was just the Good crucial podcast. Make sure you're listening. 
<laughs> who knows what we're going <laughs> it's just the crew the importance of late identifying your feelings yeah yeah and i can't yeah. have a, a clue why i asked what i asked to lead to that yeah we'll go back and listen to the footage but listen to the audio but um i, I the amount of times i've <laughs> sorry i was absolutely mayhem here but i've um the amount of times i have and I've, I've got to, I find myself going, hang on, are you, if I'm not feeling good, going, hang on, practice what you approach here. Mm. Um, how are you feeling right now? Label it. Oh, I feel angry. Why do you feel angry? I feel angry because the dog's dug up the backyard again. Yeah. Okay, well, is that the end of the world? Yeah. Probably not. The grass is going to go back. Yeah. Yep, so it's yeah. all right. I'm okay. So, yeah. But if I just walk around going, I'm fucking angry today, that's not going to help anyone. Right. It's not going to help the people that I'm... Um, Right. Well, sorry, if, if not even that. Like if I go, sorry, go back a step. If I said, if, if, if I can go, I feel angry. Why do I feel angry? Because a dog right in the backyard rather than me walking around going, I feel fucking shit today. Mm. That's anyone I bump into that day is going to be less or worse mm. off because I've met me mm. or the people I love that I'm with all day. If I'm angry the whole time, if I'm feeling shit all day and I'm with Benji, that's not, that's not good parenting for him. But if I can go, I feel angry because a dog dug out in the backyard. What am I going to do about it? I'm going to fix it up later. It'll be all right. You sort of deal with it. If you, if you can label the emotion, you're mm. much better. You're more equipped to deal with whatever's going on in your life. I love that because the key area for that that resonates for me is this, I, I, want, I feel lonely or I feel not accepted or not, yeah. not loved in the way that I want to be accepted and loved, which mm. is embraced completely for all my flaws. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then I realized that, Right, so that I've identified the emotion or the, f- the f- feeling, which is pretty, it's a pretty deep one, and then I go right. I basically go, that's not anyone's job to do that, yeah. And but that is something. If that's what I want to feel, that's something I can actually give other people. Yeah, and I know how to give other people that because I know because I know how because I know. I do know how to. Yeah. So give them fun moments or like do something that will surprise them or um, be there to talk to them when they're feeling shit or um, just reach out to someone that I know is going through a hard time and asking how they are. You know, basically looking outward and and it, it's it's obviously a cliche and lots of people talk about this by give, you know give the thing that you want in return. But I really feel like it's not giving the thing I want to get it in return. It's giving the thing I want because I can. I don't need it from someone, I, but I want to give it to someone. Yeah. It's a strange thing. Yep. It's like, all right, so, so I've, I can establish it in myself. I, can, I, I accept myself and I embrace myself in my loneliness on my own. And now anything else that if I ever receive it, it's a gift. Yep. And my only job really is to give it. And I, I, think, I think having that mentality of that, and I mean, this is my current challenge at the moment to do this more and more. And so having that mentality of giving it and seeking to give rather than, which is clearly what you do because you give so much. You give, as a teacher, you know, you give so much knowledge and give so much of yourself. You give so much story. You give so much energy to, to people that help help them. And so that's probably why you're so happy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I, yeah, I mean, the, 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 like the neuroscience says that when you do something nice for someone, your brain releases oxytocin. That's known as the love hormone because it makes you feel really good. So... You know, I, I um, for example, I enjoy Mother's Day more than Father's Day because I love giving Penny something really special, special on behalf of Benji. Mm. It's nice to get something given to you, but I think it feels nicer when you give someone. So, so I loved mm. giving Penny yesterday a pair of jeans that were too small for her and a jumper that was too big for her <laughs> uh, that she had to return. But it was nice to see her go, oh, you tried. You know, that's... Um, um, so nice. Yeah, so, but I think, yeah, to, 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 mm. to support what you're saying... Mm. 
it, it, we are we are rewarded for being kind. Our mm. brains are hardwired to mm. reward us for kindness, which mm. is amazing. Mm. Like when you think about how that has actually happened, that we've our brains are designed so that when we do something nice to someone, it makes us feel happy. Mm. That's incredible. It it says how much like ecosystemize or um, as a as a tribe. It's something that says a lot about the fact that we're a tribe. Yes, right? it, absolutely, it does. And and how we 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 really do depend on one another. We could do a whole podcast on this very topic. Yeah, <laughs> like it is. Yeah, because we're disbanding our tribes. Yes, that's and right. And I, I think I may have even stolen Johan Hari's from Lost Connection that his line, but we are so less likely to be involved in big group activities where we get our psychological needs met. So it even it goes deeper into stuff like social media the issue is uh, social media but Mm. we have basic psychological needs the need to feel loved the need to feel like we belong the need to feel validated Mm. um and we get that from being part of a tribe being part of a group and to make it more tribe sounds a little bit kind of um primal yeah so to make it more modern like be part of a sporting group be part of a be part of a sporting club be part of a family yeah, a family, that kind of stuff. And to be part of a neighborhood where you know everyone in your building or you know everyone in the community and you walk past, you say hi. If someone hasn't left their house for a couple of days, you knock on the door and just say, I haven't seen you around, just checking you're okay. Mm. That's how we're meant to be, not... Mm. I don't know, like, why are you I, stalking I, me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Why the fuck is this bloke knocking on my door again? Because he cares about you. Yeah, and that's yeah. good for our mental health. It that's is. That's so good. I mean, I I played cricket for... Um, played, I'm 38 now. I played, I played for a team since I was... Eight, never missed a season, right? So that's a long time of plucking cricket. Mm. And I've, I've part of played in, in a competition called, well, it doesn't matter what the competition's called, but I played, it was a big part of my life. It's quite a serious competition. Mm. And I stopped end of last year. I noticed a huge difference when on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I wasn't going to training afterwards mm. to be part of this group where I felt loved, mm. felt like I belonged. I was validated because I was, I was good at it. Well, I was getting worse and worse every year, um, but um, and, and I felt like I belonged, like I was, and I had status within the club. We all crave status, and every Saturday you turn up, and a lot of the games are Saturday Sunday games. You feel like you belong all weekend. You 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 um you know, you feel love from mm. or you like that's part of being a tribe. Like, mm. and I'm not saying so everyone go and join a cricket club. <laughs> if you're going to go to Melbourne University, they're very good people. But <laughs> being whatever, if you're into music, if you're into comedy if you're into art make sure you're involved in a group where you now now my tribe has changed now it's my family now you know that's why i stopped playing cricket i had benji i want to create this new tribe Mm. where you know my i want every spare second i have i want it to be with him Mm. i want him to see me being in love with his mum, and i want him to see me being in love with him and our family that's why i left that tribe so i got a new one but i do notice a difference when you don't have that Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, tribe. Mm-hmm. This is my tribe. And mm-hmm. so it's so important we are part of a group and we open up our doors. To, and our, our natural thing these days is when you feel so bombarded throughout the day, you know, you work and then you're on your phone all the time. So there's so much coming at you. You get home, you want to close the doors and mm-hmm. just have time to, to be like, oh, I'm exhausted. I just need to lie on the couch and do nothing. But every time you open up your doors and you have people over, you have a dinner, you, have, you just feel so much richer because of it. And I mm. think that's because we're getting our psychological needs met, mm. which we don't do as much anymore. Mm. I love that. Thank you. It's so true. <laughs> Thank you. I said it all myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we go get you to the airport, but thank you so much oh, mate, for coming on and giving us really? your time. Oh, I've loved this. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, it's yeah, been really a real pleasure. I um, 
time. We met it only like what was it about a month ago, mm, recently. and I think we we were we were going to have coffee, yeah. And I had breakfast because, but you and you had a cup of tea, yeah. and we were. I was like in my head, oh, I've probably got forty five minutes. We were there for like. I don't know, two yeah, hours something. It was amazing. Hours. It flew. Yeah, I think yeah. you're, you're a wonderful person. So it's very nice to meet you. And, and you've got great hair as well. <laughs> I wish I had that much hair. <laughs> you've got quite a bit of hair. That's yeah. no, not great. It's, it's marching backwards rapidly. <laughs> well, man, I love you heaps and I loved your work. And oh, thank you for pleasure. everything. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me. Cheers. <laughs>